was thinking about May of 1989. That was a very busy month. I graduated from college, Lincoln Christian College. I was preparing, Trish and I were preparing to get married the next month, and I was waiting on news for a possible job change. I had one more week. I'd graduated, but I had one more week that I needed to be in the dorms because I needed to clean up all the stuff that I had accumulated over four years. So I'm emptying out my stuff, throwing things away, and I remember taking a taking a sack of garbage to the big trash can that we had on our dorm floor. And as I was putting it in, I noticed a piece of paper, not crumpled up and thrown in, but paper that was just laid on top of the garbage can there. And I couldn't help but pick it up and read it. The handwriting was immaculate, just absolutely perfect. And as I read it, I I realized it was a song that someone had written. It was absolutely beautiful. I'm reading this, I'm thinking, why would somebody throw this beautiful, these beautiful lyrics, why would they throw them away? And so I took that paper in my hand and I went down the hallway and I started asking, whose is this? Whose is this? And finally someone recognized the handwriting and I went down to the dorm room of the composer and I banged on his door and I said, why did you throw this away? He said, well, it's not done. I couldn't find a way to end it. I couldn't find a way to finish the song. So, so I got frustrated. I just, I just threw it away. I've never forgotten that. 30-some years later, I think about that. And I wonder how many unfinished songs are there out there? How many songs are there that never got finished, never got heard, never... The ending never came together. Now, for those of you that like long-haired music, not like your kind of long-haired music, Doug, you know, the the old kind, there are some unfinished symphonies out there. Uh, Schubert's Eighth Symphony is unfinished. Beethoven, you're you're familiar with Beethoven. Beethoven's Tenth is unfinished. Uh, Brahms' Fifth is unfinished. And there have been attempts by musicians to take the notes that these composers left behind and, and try to finish them, but they're still incomplete. Because long before the song is written down or played, it's here, and it's, it's here. And the, the, the composers never finished it. it. It inspires feelings. The song inspires feelings. The song asks questions. And, and so if the song is unfinished, what about the questions that that song inspires? Even if you've never written a song, you know the frustration of questions that you can't answer. Psalm 9 might help us through some of that. You've probably never considered the fact that there, there might be an unfinished psalm or two in your Bible, but that certainly seems to be what we find when we come to Psalm 9. It's page 451 if you use those blue Bibles in front of you. Psalm 9 is unfinished. If you read it carefully, if you study it, you look closely, it, it doesn't really end. It doesn't resolve. It just stops. And it starts out with the best of intentions. It starts out beautifully. David begins with praise. He begins with this confidence about who God is and what God does. You notice it there in verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. But little by little, David's confidence is eroded as he continues on. And it's eroded by the 
pain and injustice that David sees in the world. It's right there in verse 3. In verse 3, there are enemies. In verse 5, they are not just a few enemies. There are wicked nations that are opposing David. In verse 15, those wicked nations have sunk into a pit of their own making. David spends the psalm wondering if God is really just, then why do other people hurt people? Why is that allowed? If God is really just, why is there so much suffering and so much of it at the hands of other people? And David doesn't find an answer, and so the psalm remains unfinished. Now you, you may not be a songwriter. <laughs> you may not be a poet. But like David, you've got questions from God. You've got questions for God. And those questions remain unanswered. Psalm 9, one of the ways that we can tell it's unfinished is it is an acrostic poem. An acrostic poem, that means that the first verse or the first stanza begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The second begins with the second letter. The third with the third. You get the idea, right? It's a very popular form of poetry. We see it several examples of it in the Psalms. One of the most famous or the most famous you would find in the Psalms would be Psalm 119, that epic long psalm that we have there in Psalm 119, which begins and it's outlined. We see the beginning, the first letter, the second letter, the third letter. You might have even tried your hand at it yourself. You know, I don't know. Maybe you got your wife a Valentine's card one time and maybe you said, you are my A to Z. You are amazing. You are beautiful. You are caring. You are D. You're darling. You are E. Uh, what starts with E? Everything. You're everything. You just stopped right there, you know. So, so David's poem here, the song, Psalm 9, Psalm 9, should logically end after 22 stanzas, 22 verses. That's how many letters there are in the Hebrew alphabet, but it doesn't. It never resolves. I think the reason it doesn't resolve is because it raises questions that we just can't find answers to here. You look at the world around us, you see the hurting that's around us, you see the evil, you see the suffering, and you ask why. Why does God allow these things to happen? Why doesn't He intervene? And those answers just don't come. And sometimes the answers don't come because the question's too difficult. It's too big of a question. It's too big for us to comprehend. Sometimes they don't come because the answers are too painful and we, we don't want to hear it. And so we hurt. And there's no answer. There's no reason for our hurt that would ever be good enough to make it worth enduring. Think about the community of Paris right now. Think about what Paris has been enduring over the last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, Paris was impacted by the murder, the tragic death of C.K. Ney. And, and you hear the comments and you talk to people in Paris who knew C.K., who didn't know C.K. for that matter. I, I heard the anger from our neighbors who are trying to comprehend why something like this happens. And they're, they're angry. They're angrily asking the whys. C.K. wouldn't hurt a fly. I've heard that over and over again. And it's true. C.K. was kind. He was gentle. And this is an absolutely senseless murder. It's left the whole community, community angrily asking why. And then over this past week in Paris, a young man by the name of Michael Dolan. Michael was struck with a series of illnesses and problems that just seemed to spiral out of control. Several medical issues. Michael needs a miracle right now. 
I went over to the prayer vigil Friday afternoon or Friday evening. I went to the prayer vigil on the courthouse lawn there in Paris and met with Christians from several churches. We prayed, we sang, we cried, and I heard the question there, not angry, but sad. Why? Why Michael? Michael's such a good kid. He's a faithful Christian. He's a, he's, a member of, uh, he's, a, he's a faithful member of his church, and yet he's having these physical issues, and this trouble is just spiraling out of control. Why? Let me tell you, you you'll never find an answer to the why that makes sense. You'll never find an answer to why that makes the pain you feel worthwhile, will you? you you'll never find something that satisfies you. And some of you have known that in very, very personal ways. Some of you have struggled with that question for years. And maybe there's comfort in knowing that David, King David, struggled with that question also. Maybe their comfort is found in that we're not alone when we ask these questions, when we struggle with the whys. You notice there's a header in Psalm 9. Before, before you read verse 1, there is a header up there. It says, To the choir master, according to the Muthlaben, a Psalm of David, eh, Muthlaben. It's another one of those Hebrew musical terms that we don't know exactly what it means. But you may notice there's a notation. There might be a notation in your Bible down at the bottom that Muthlaben is a, it's a Hebrew phrase. It means the death of a son. And it's thought that, that there was a song called The Death of a Son and that this psalm was to be sung to the tune of death of a son. It doesn't sound like a happy song, does it? He wouldn't sing a happy song to the tune of death of a son. And I think about David. I think about David who his son with Bathsheba passed away. And David had to have asked why. I think about David and the death of his son Absalom who rebelled against him and then was murdered. And I, I think David had to have asked why. David felt those hurts just like some of you, and he asked those whys just like you. Why? What could I have done to keep this from happening? Why? What? Why did this happen? What did I do? And those hurts must have haunted him just as you felt those hurts for a, for a very long time also. And even if you've never written a song, you've held on to those unanswered questions and you've felt what David feels here. You have felt that the one who has all the answers sometimes seems so silent and so distant. In the middle of Psalm 9, David declares his confidence in God's promise. Verses 11 and 12, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people His deeds, for He who avenges the blood, avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. God sits enthroned. He is in control. And for those who are hurting, for you, when you are hurting, David finds confidence in the promise that God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. That pain that you have felt, that pain that you maybe have felt for a, a very long time, you are not feeling it because God has forgotten you. It's not because you haven't cried enough. But David addresses that feeling we've all had. If God has all of the answers, why, why doesn't He share them? Why does he seem so distant sometimes? Why, why is he so silent? And so there's no conclusion to Psalm 9. David kind of just puts the psalm out of its misery. He just ends the psalm. He puts his questions away. Verses 18 through 20. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. 
Arise, O Lord, let, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. I like the way the NIV brings out the emotion of those verses. Do not let mortals triumph. That's what it says. Do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know that they are only mortal. In other words, those people who are causing pain, you remind them that they're not really in charge. Those people who are causing hurts for others, you let them know that they are not God's. They are not the, the masters of someone else's destiny. They, they are not the ones in control. They are not the ones in power. That's David's cry. But there's no response. God does not answer him. And for you and me, we still hurt. We still feel powerless. And we still ask, where is God? I think about that, I think about that unfinished song that I found 30 years ago. I could still tell you some of the words of it. I think about that song that had just been tossed because the author couldn't find a way to, to finish it. The author of that song and I are still really good friends. And we talk all the time. And One day I asked him about the song. I said, remember that one song that you wrote? And you threw it away. He said, yeah, I remember that. I said, man, I love that song. I wish I had I wish I'd held on to, those, to the, those lyrics. And I got an email from him a few days later and he had reproduced the song, still unfinished, but he had reproduced it 30, 30 years. And he still remembered those words. He'd put it away, but they were still in him. 30 years later, the song was still unfinished. It's still here. It's still here. But those questions don't go away. Why does life hurt? Why do bad things happen? Why, does, why do good people get sick? Why CK? Why Michael? Why any of us? Why? 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 Psalm eight or Psalm Psalm nine? Excuse me. Ends with a why. And then Psalm ten comes along. And, and you'll notice there's a heading on Psalm nine, but there is no heading on Psalm ten. And Psalm ten just picks the question right back up again. Verse one of Psalm ten: Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Something that you can't see in your Bible, but something that you need to be aware of is that Psalm 10 finishes Psalm 9. In fact, if we were reading from the Greek Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, in the Septuagint, Psalm 9 and 10 are actually just one psalm. Psalm 10 concludes Psalm 9. It resolves the poem. It finishes the song. It doesn't answer the questions. It doesn't answer the whys. It doesn't find a reason for the pain. Nothing that makes it seem worthwhile. Nothing to make you feel better about the pain. But instead of a why, we find a where in Psalm 10. Where is God? And the answer is, He's right there with you. Right there in the middle of your pain. You've asked the same question David asks in Psalm 10 verse 1. Why does God seem so far away? Why can't I hear him? Has he turned his back on me? Is he too busy? Are there bigger problems out there for God? Are there bigger hurts than mine? Now hear me, it, it's okay to have those kind of questions. If you've had those kind of questions, it doesn't mean you're lacking faith. I think it's very okay to ask those kind of questions. It says a lot about your heart. It says that you expect that in a good world, in a just world, you're going to find justice and that good will be returned with good. Those who are doing good should receive good. But we live in a fallen world. 
And very often, it is the people of God who suffer. And others who are opposed to God, others in their, in their arrogance, others in their power, they prosper. And we wonder, how is that fair? David felt that in both of these psalms, that same disappointment, that same pain, that same incongruity of it all. And he speaks for us who ask the why. He speaks for us who ask why. He speaks for us who wonder. In Psalm 10, verses 10 and 11, David notes, the helpless are crushed. The helpless are crushed, sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten and he has hidden his face. He will never see it. David comes to this one conclusion. God has forgotten me. God has forgotten me. I am not worthy of his attention. My pain is not important. But no, David cries out for the afflicted. He cries out for the hurting. He cries out for you. And in verse 12, he says, Arise, O Lord. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Forget not the afflicted. Remember them. Remember the hurting. Remember Michael. Remember CK. Remember my friend. Remember me. Forget not the afflicted. Remember me. You hear that in verse 12, don't you? Remember me. I get to verse 12 and I can't help but find my way to the cross with those words. Remember me. When I read this psalm that is apparently based on a tune called The Death of a Son, you can't help but hear the cry of the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus, can you? Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And you see that the song does not end with an answer to the why. It ends with an answer to the where. Where is God? He's not far off, as David wonders in verse 1. He's right there with you. He's right there in the middle of your pain. If you felt that, you're not alone. Because David feels that also in his disappointment and his pain. It, he didn't hold it in. He didn't he didn't hold it in. He cried out from his pain and ultimately he cries out for our pain also. Psalm 10 re finishes Psalm 9 but the, without the answers that David was looking for and likely without the answers that you've been looking for either. Why me? Why her? Why this? Why this pain? Why now? And rather than answers, God points David to himself. Verses 16-18, through the ending of Psalm 10. The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations perish from His land. O Lord, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline Your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. While the evil in this world strikes terror today, and while pain and injustice continue, while, while good kids get sick, get sick God reveals not the answer we want, but He reveals the presence that we need. He reveals Himself. And God proves His presence even in our pain. David cries out to God, do not forget, do not forget the afflicted. The man on the cross cried out to Jesus, remember Me when You enter Your kingdom. 
And in Jesus, we see that God does not stand far off. God is right there, nailed to the cross, feeling the pain that we feel, the rejection that we know. He did not forget the afflicted, and instead He promises, today you will be with me in paradise. Do not forget the afflicted. It's the heart cry of that psalm. Do not forget the afflicted. One of the most Christ-like things that you can do is just to be there with someone who's hurting, right? Just show up. Just be present in their hurts. I've said it over and over again. No one should ever cry alone. No one should cry alone. No one should ask the whys alone. And as we come close, we bring the presence of God with us. We don't bring all the answers. We don't bring all the answers, but we bring the love that they desperately need. Your heart is always going to cry out for the wise. That's just the nature of your heart. That is your desire for answers, for your, your desire for order in this world, for justice for those who are hurting. Your heart cries for the wise, but listen to Jesus for the where. Wherever you're hurting, wherever the pain is, wherever the oppression is, wherever the hurts are. He is there. God proves His presence even in our pain. And what He shows us is that He's been there all along. In a moment, we'll go to the table. We'll take communion. We'll remind ourselves of the suffering of Jesus. The way that His body was broken. His blood was poured out. We'll also remember that in the middle of the cross, there in, there in the middle cross, when one man cried out, remember me, Jesus answered and said, you will be with me today in paradise. Whatever the hurt you're feeling, whatever the pain, whatever the question, Jesus is there with you. Let me pray and we'll sing and take together. Father, we've, we've all got questions that remain unanswered. There's a great number of them we maybe have never dared to put voice to. We've never allowed ourselves to, to ask them out loud because we're worried about what it would sound like. If, would we sound unfaithful? Would we sound like we didn't believe if we gave voice to our questions? But Lord, You know our hearts. You search us and You know us in the inmost parts. You know those questions of why. And Father, we... We trust that for every why you answer a where and you show us that you are there with us. Lord, we've got friends who are hurting, friends who are asking their questions. Help us not to show up with answers, but just help us to show up. Help us to be there to, to offer the support they need, to, to bring a meal, to, to bring a supportive shoulder, just to listen when they're hurting and to offer them your love. We thank You that in the middle of our biggest hurts, You've offered Your love again and again. And as we take together today, we remember the way that You have shown us that love through Your Son, Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.